Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. What does the idea of biblical covenant have to do with the meaning of life? As we launch our annual covenant renewal series, let's ponder how God's partnership with humans impacts all of life. Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we're going to be this morning. We are starting uh, our September month, and that is our covenant partnership month. And we're going to take a couple weeks here and walk through why we do what we do and uh, look at it from a couple different perspectives. This week, I'm going to be doing an intro to covenantal life focusing on the covenant aspect. Uh, Next week, Nate will be here and he'll be speaking on uh, the life aspect of covenantal life. And just FYI, Nate and Jana are on vacation out in Montana and those states I've never been to, but they're having a blast. So you can continue to pray for them. They'll be gone most of this week as well. So um, thankful that they get to get away. So he'll be sharing next week. And then the 18th, Nate and I are going to kind of do a tag team um, sermon together. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks together. But the church's life is a covenantally shared life. It is a life in which we partner together in the life and the mission of Jesus. Jesus has sent the church out on mission. It says in John 17, John 20, Acts 1, that just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And this sending together that Jesus is giving to us is not us individually being sent, but us collectively being sent. And sometimes, if you're like me, we go through life and the busyness of life, the the things that call for our attention, often cause us to forget the most important aspects of our life. The most important things get pushed out of the way. The urgent take over the necessary. And oftentimes, the things that are most important get pushed out, not by bad things, but by good things. And this is why we need to be reminded over and over again to be about what is ultimate, to be about what is most important. And we need to heed Paul's warnings in 2 Corinthians 13, where he says, to examine yourself. There's a call to continually examine, to see where you are at. It's healthy to do a regular check-in on ourselves, to see how we are doing as a corporate body together uh, about our faith and the mission that Jesus has given us. And the church exists within this covenantal relationship that the Bible calls the New Covenant. And we're going to get to the New Covenant in a few minutes But this is a a, a relationship, an establishment, an agreement that has come together between the church and God through Jesus. And so we relate to God in this covenantal framework of the new covenants. But it's not just a vertical relationship. This new covenant that we have been rightly related to God through Jesus is not just about this. It's about the horizontal. In other words, 
The horizontal life of the church is a covenantal life together because we exist in a covenantal relationship with God. The vertical impacts the horizontal. And so whether you like it or not, you belong to a covenantal relationship with God's people. And we need to be reminded of this covenantal relationship that we've been brought into. And it's not just us who need to be reminded of it. In the Old Testament, they regularly did these things called covenant renewal ceremonies. These ceremonies were gatherings of people to be reminded of what Yahweh had called His people to be and to do. These covenant renewal ceremonies took place really at pretty prominent times recorded in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. Israel had been given the law of Mount Sinai, spent 40 years in the wilderness, and now they're on the precipice of going into the promised land. And what does Moses do? He actually gathers all of Israel together and they do a covenant renewal ceremony to renew their commitments to the covenant that God had actually established with them. In Joshua 24, after they had conquered basically all of the promised land, had been given the lands, after all that had been accomplished, they did another covenant renewal ceremony to be reminded of why God gave them this land, what the purpose of this land was. And in, in Nehemiah chapter 7, they do a covenant renewal ceremony when Israel is brought back from exile, back into relationship to their land, and they've rebuilt, in a sense, the walls and the temple, and they enter into another time of a covenant renewal ceremony. See, this view of covenantal ceremonies, of renewing our covenant, is necessary at every stage of our life, at every place the church is called to re-enter afresh its covenantal relationship with God and each other. So I think reflecting and reviewing one's life is necessary. It's essential. It's how God has designed us. Do you know why one of the benefits of coming to a church Sunday, gathering every Sunday? It is this constant renewal, this constant reminder that we belong to a different story than the one that we have been inundated with all week long. And so it's important to come back and evaluate the four worldview questions. The question on the slide that I have, the first question of origin. Where did I come from? Why do I exist? What is the meaning of my life? The morality, the ethic question of how should I live my life? The destiny of where is my life headed? These major ultimate questions Every human being is seeking to answer, and they're looking to some story to answer them. And the Scripture tells us that there is a story that answers all of these questions. And so we want to just be reminded that we belong to a covenantal reality, a covenantal life together. In Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel gives us a picture of what this new life, this new covenant will actually entail. And I just want to spend a few minutes reading through it as we begin our time together. So Ezekiel chapter 37, and starting in verse 20, Ezekiel says this. Actually, verse 21. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I, Yahweh, will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. And I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own lands. 
I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all of their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow all my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be prince over them forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them, increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Father, as we look at what it means to be a covenant people, I pray that you will help us to examine our hearts, our lives, our minds, where we're at, what we're doing. And I pray, Spirit, that through our time together over the next couple of weeks, that you would continue to unite our hearts together to be about the life of Jesus, to be about his life together, that we would see that what we're doing here is not a game, it's not a social club, it's not anything but reality. It's about what life is all about. So help us as we meet together over these next few weeks to love one another more, to have hearts of forgiveness, to have minds of unity. And we pray of this next year as we enter into a new year of our covenant partnership together that we would see you produce love and produce that unity and produce people coming out of darkness into life and to see you at work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if church is a covenantally shared life, what is a covenant? I highly doubt of the two million words you said this week, any of you said the word covenant, right? Like, this is not a normal word that is used in American language. It's not a word that we use hardly ever. However, the word covenant functions as a very integral word to the storyline of the Bible. So if you don't understand the nature of covenant, it's very hard to understand the nature of the Bible. From beginning to end, God always relates to a people through a covenant. So what is a covenant? Here is my, I'm going to say simple, but simple definition of a covenant. Number one, a covenant is an enduring agreement. Number two, that defines a relationship between two parties. It's a solemn, number three, binding obligation specified on the part of at least one of the parties towards the other. And number four is ratified by a visual ritual. Number one, it's an enduring agreement. 
It's something that takes place over lifetimes. It isn't a two-week covenant. It's not even normally a one-lifetime covenant. A covenant is this ongoing, we could even use the word in a sense, eternal. It's meant to be binding for longer than one's life. Number two, it defines a relationship between two parties. This is very key when we understand the new covenant that we live in together under Jesus, is that this covenant that two people enter into defines that relationship. You can't make up other things. You can't make your own definition. You can't come up with your own understanding of how you're going to relate to each other because when you make a covenant, it now defines it. And it involves solemn binding obligations. This is not like you can just do whatever you want. If, in fact, oftentimes in the Old Testament, when a covenant was made, it was if you broke it, you would actually die. The result of breaking this oath, this, this relationship that's been established, would actually be death. And it's often ratified by a visual ritual. There's something that usually goes on that people can perceive, there's usually a, a ceremony. So one of the easiest ways to walk through this again is to see that marriage in the Bible is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. So how long is marriage? Is it an enduring agreement or a two-week thing? It's an enduring thing. It goes on until you die. Number two, it defines a relationship between two parties. So before you got married, you could do whatever you want. And when you got married, could you do whatever you wanted? If you did, how well did that go for you? Because when two people enter into a covenant of marriage, that now defines their relationship. It defines their relationship in the sense that now this person, this is married to this person, they can only be with each other. You can't go and have 14 other girlfriends. You can't go and do whatever you want. Because when you enter into that relationship, that now defines your life. Number three, it involves a solemn binding obligation. This is the most important part of the wedding. Like when I do weddings, people, the only thing I make people do is the vows, the I do part, that they will promise to, and then they can write their own vows or go 1920s and I, thee, and thou, and till death do us part, all those fun things. But the point is, is that there is a solemn binding obligation. Number four, it's ratified by a visual ritual. This is why you can't go get married in your home. Two people can't just walk outside and be like, I want to be married, and they get married. There is a covenantal ritual that takes place. And, and there's often signs of that ritual. And, and this is why marriage has rings. It's because it is a sign of the covenants. And so this is an understanding of a covenant, basically. It's an enduring agreement between two people that defines that relationship, that has very solemn binding obligations of how you're now going to live your life and it's ratified, it begins, it's initiated through a ritual often accompanied with signs. Now, a covenant must be distinguished from a contract. There are contracts in the Bible. It's not like there's just covenants only. There are contracts in the Bible, but the, the, the difference between a contract and a covenant are very important for us to actually stop for a moment and think. 
the occasion, the purpose for a contract is largely for the benefit that each party expects. A contract is I'm entering into a contract with, other, with someone else basically so I can get what I want and they can get what they want. A satisfactory party agrees to one specified quantity of a desired product. The other person wants some other product. It's all about the product. So do you understand what a covenant is in the Bible? Like, I'm sorry, I'm, this word's going to get confusing. Everyone understand what a contract is in the Bible? It's about the thing that you are coming into agreement over, and each person is getting the benefits of the thing. But in the scriptures, a covenant is not thing or product oriented. In the Bible, the covenant is a person oriented thing. That the chief part of a covenant is not the, the products. It is actually the relational intimacy that is now being established between two people. I don't know if you know the story of Jonathan and David, but David, uh, being the future king of Israel, is now best friends with the present king of Israel, Saul, his son, David. And it says in 1 Samuel that they entered into a covenant. And the reason they entered into a covenant is not because they wanted to get things from each other. They entered into that covenant because of the deep intimacy that was involved between their relationship. So a covenant is person-oriented. It is relationally oriented. And both covenant and contract have obligations. But there's this huge difference. The obligation in the contract is for the product to be delivered. The obligation for a covenant is loyalty. So when we think of this, and God enters into a relationship with the people, He's not just after a product. He's not just after, I now have 242 million Christians that follow me. He's not just after a number. He's not just after something that you can do for Him. What is God after? relational intimacy with you. God is after loyalty for you. He's not just using you. When God enters into relationship with his people, it is for the purpose of relational intimacy. Number two, time. Like I said earlier, that covenants often were binding through generations, through lifetimes, through families that came into covenant with each other, that this outlasted their life and it continued on and on and on. Whereas a contract could be for two weeks, a contract could be for a year. And when you broke the covenant, so in a sense like a ticking off of the terms in a checklist fashion can reveal a broken contract, and the point of brokenness can be clearly identified in a contract. But a covenant too can be broken, but the point at which it transpires is less clear. What I mean by that is like, if you don't deliver my product, you broke the agreement, you broke the contract. But the breaking of a covenant is a little bit less clear because it's not focused on product and getting things but it is on the quality and the relationship that exists that goes on after the covenant is made. So of all the differences between a covenant and a contract, the place in covenant of personal loyalty is the most striking. 
What I want us to see is that when we enter into a covenant relationship with God, He is not just after us. He's wanting to be with us. He wants to know us. He wants to have that intimate relationship with us. And as I said earlier, because we enter into this relationship, not just as individuals, but as a group of people, our covenant relationship with each other is not just so you can do things for me. Our covenant relationship with each other is one of loyalty, one of I want to know you, I want to be with you, I want to help you. And becoming a follower of Jesus enters you into this already existing relationship that exists between God and His people. So what is a contract and what is a covenant? They're very different things. In church, when we talk about covenantal life, we're talking about an agreement between us as a people, as a body of intimacy, of deep love for each other. Now, as we look at Scripture, that is what a covenant is, but what are the primary covenants? I'm not going to, I have this on the screen for you, and this could take me years to walk through, so I'm going to do it briefly. But there are six primary covenants that move the story of God along. There's a covenant that God enters into at creation with Adam. And that relationship of intimacy, God promises to make the earth his home if Adam and Eve would get the world ready for him to come and to dwell with his people. And we know that Adam and Eve rebel against and they break that commandment. The intimacy that they could have had with God, they've decided to have intimacy with the snake, in a sense, and with themselves. And now that covenant has been broken. And God then enters into relationship with Noah. And we call this the Noahic covenant, the covenant God made with Noah. And after Noah gets off the boat, sorry, Noah creates an altar and does an offering up to God because God has promised that what he wanted to establish in creation, he is not going to let go. What that means is simply this, God is going to bring all the creational blessing that he wanted for Adam. He has not abandoned his plan, and he's entering into a relationship with Noah saying, through you now this world is going to come. So the nation of Israel gets established through this next covenant through a man named Abraham. And God promises to bring all of the blessing of creation through Abraham. And out of Abraham starts this mighty nation of Israel as they come out of the Exodus and they go into the desert. God enters into a covenant relationship with them in Exodus chapter 19. And the point of the, this covenant right here is just simply this, is that God wants them to be a kingdom of priests. He is entering into a relationship with them and asking them, the solemn binding obligation is you show the world who I am. And as we follow the story, we know that Israel cannot keep their end of the bargain. And one of the main reasons they can't keep their covenant, their part of the the relationship, is because they don't have a righteous king. And so God enters into a relationship with a man named David. And God promises David that one day a true king will come and bring shalom, bring peace for all of God's people and be the means to which the nations will come to dwell with God. So it's interesting, as we trace this story, God enters into relationship with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with all the nation of Israel, and now with this mighty king named David. 
And what we discover in all of these relationships that God has established in the Old Covenant to bring about a world where he'll come and dwell with them is that no one can keep their end of the bargain. No one can live up to the stipulations that God has placed upon them. They are all covenant breakers. They are all people who are unable to fulfill their responsibility. And yet God, who is faithful, is going to do what? He's going to uphold his responsibility. He's going to uphold his promises. And he has promised that if Israel would obey, he would bring about all these blessings. So do you see the tension? God is going to be faithful, and yet there's always an unfaithful people. So how does this tension of God's faithfulness to bring all of the blessing to this world, how does that meet with God wanting the people to uphold their stipulations and their responsibilities? Well, Ezekiel chapter 37, we read this at the beginning, is a promise that one day God is going to do exactly that. He's going to actually bring about a time where the people of God would actually not be covenant breakers, but would be covenant keepers. And as we read through this again, let's just make a couple comments as we go through. And I think this is an important passage for us to think through about who we are as the church entering into this new covenant life that we have been called into. In verse 21, we see there, we call it the reconstitution. Is that really small? It might be. You might need like magnifying glasses, but... It's the reconstitution, it's the reorganization. What God is promising is that right now in the story of Israel, the northern kingdom has been taken captive to Assyria. They're basically just waste and gone. The southern kingdom, Judah, which is when Ezekiel is living, is in Babylon right now. And so all of Israel, in a sense, has been taken out of their lands. And this is what God says. One day, I'm going to gather everyone back. The two nations... Yeah, that's no longer a thing. We're just going to be one person, one nation. There's going to be one king over all of them. And so what God is promising is he's going to bring everyone back and reorganize Israel and reconstitute the two back into one. But then there's redemption. When he brings them back, they will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses. Why? Because I will save them from all of their sinful backsliding. And I will cleanse them. And they will be my people and I will be their God. Here is the promise, 700 years before Jesus, that God is going to redeem his people. He's going to actually make them be people who no longer worship idols. They're not going to be like the other nations. They're not going to be succumbed to all the other stories that all the other nations are telling about themselves and buying into it. And I love this phrase, he'll save them from all of their sinful backsliding. When you backslide, whatever that means, God's saving you. He's not abandoning you. And one of the reasons why Israel is going to be able to live out this life of no longer giving into idols. It's because verse 24, there's going to be a true king. My servant David will be king over them. They will have one shepherd. They'll follow all my laws. They'll live in the land I gave. And they and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. So I don't know if you're catching this yet, 
But this is talking about all the fulfillments of all the covenants. We just saw that God promised a covenant with David that one day one of his descendants would reign on the throne of Israel for all of eternity. And now there's a promise that one day a true David is coming. And FYI, I don't think this is David, the actual David. I think it's actually David equaling Jesus. The one who comes from David. Jesus will be king over all of them. And when this king comes, the next thing he's going to do is make a new covenant. I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it will be an everlasting covenant. The point of this is that God is going to enter the covenant of peace. is called the new covenant. He's going to enter into a time of shalom where there's going to be not just the absence of hostility. Like peace often we think is when there's no war going on, there's no conflict. But peace is also the presence of flourishing. He's going to make a covenant of peace where there's going to be flourishing. All the blessings that God had promised the nation of Israel are going to come to pass. And it will be an everlasting covenant. And establishing this covenant, God is also saying this. I will establish, increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. What is a sanctuary? What is a sanctuary? Yeah, it's a place where God dwelled. A sanctuary is a, a temple. I will put my dwelling place among them. The point is that a sanctuary is an intimate place where God in the Old Testament could meet with the people of Israel. It's a meeting place between God and man. And so the meeting place between God and man is now going to be among them. And do you notice that next word? For how long? Forever. Unlike the temple where God took his presence away from them, he is saying that one day his presence will never be removed from his people. And finally, after all this is accomplished, who also are the beneficiaries? Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. The point of the Abrahamic covenant is that God would bless Abraham for the sake of the nations. And now, after God enters into a new relationship with Israel, reorganizes Israel, gives them a true king who can make the, all the people of Israel, the people of God, become covenant keepers... God is going to dwell with them. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy. Like, can you just see the life of the church in this, in this little paragraph right here? This is who we are as a church. We are entering into a covenant relationship with God whereby we have had all of our sins forgiven, past, present, and future. We have a true king who is reigning over us, Jesus, who has established a covenant of peace and flourishing, and he has made his presence with us through the Spirit of God so that the nations will know. Like, this is very mean, but it's like if we knew the Old Testament we would know the New Testament. We'd understand what God is actually doing in the life of the church if we understood the old, co old covenant, the old way, the old way, the old testament that God given to his people. It's not an old way, okay? That was heretical. Don't, don't fire me. And so we come into that sixth and final covenant that I've been talking about. The Old Testament predicted 
prophesied of a future new covenant of peace where God's people would always become who they were always supposed to be. A kingdom priest, a, a faithful, obedient people who would be covenant keepers. And Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, made you and I covenant keepers. And how many of you felt like a covenant keeper this week? How many felt like a covenant breaker? Okay, and I want you to know something. You may feel like a covenant breaker, but you're a covenant keeper. You know why? Because there's one who's interceding for you, one who is actually keeping the covenant for you, and that is Jesus. So, yes, you're a covenant breaker. You feel like one because you sin, but you know what? We have one who actually is keeping the covenant for us to ensure that God's promises are going forward, to ensure that we won't be people who give ourselves over to idols, to ensure that we will follow the king. And Jesus comes into this story as the faithful, obedient one. Remember I said that tension of God is going to promise to do all these things and Israel has to do all these obligations to ensure that this covenant matches. How does that tension get filled how does that tension get resolved? Only through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And church, every time we take communion, we enter into a covenant renewal ceremony. When we say in the same way after a supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the what, church? The new covenant. The new relationship, the new way that God is relating to his people through Jesus to make them covenant keepers. Or Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. I'm just saying this right now, and you can hold me to it. When we get done with Matthew, we're going to go through Hebrews. So it's going to be like 2027, but we're getting there. Okay? Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. See, this is one of the beauties and struggles of Hebrews. There's all of these little clauses. That like, if we could just get one sentence of six words, we could understand it. But there's 17 little phrases that run off of that. But here's the point. Christ is a mediator of a new covenant. He is the one who is now rightly relating us to God through a new relationship that has been established. And why is the new covenant better than the old one? Well, I hope you're getting the picture. It's because you now have true forgiveness. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to remove sins. You actually need the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus makes you a covenant keeper. And Jesus now is bringing us into this new established relationship. He's bringing us into this new way of life. And I want you to know this new covenant now defines the parameters of your life. You don't get to choose. Jesus has already chosen the parameters of that life for you. So you can't have Jesus and your cake. 
You can't have Jesus and your life that you want in the American culture. No, if you enter into this covenant relationship, those parameters have already been established and defined for you. And the good news about that is those parameters are parameters that are going to actually lead to life and joy and peace. Because those are the things that belong to the kingdom of God. So the new covenant is so far superior to the old one that the Old Testament tells us it's so great that it's going to be like when you enter into it fully, you're going to forget the first one even existed. So church partnership, belonging to a church, is something that is very integral to the life of the New Testament, the New Covenant. That if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to not just enter into a relationship between you and God, but you're going to enter into a relationship that now defines your life with God's people. Church partnership, belonging to a church, is simply an outworking of the covenantal life that we share in Jesus. Are we weird because we make you sign a covenant? Probably. Are we a cult? I hope not. But all a covenant is, is it's just an outworking, a signing of what has already been true of your life. So if you sign it or don't sign it, you know what? All those parameters are still defining your life. Does that make sense? You can't get away from this covenantal relationship, this covenantal framework that exists because we belong to Jesus. So as the church, the forgiven, the new covenant people of God, we live our lives together under these parameters. Maybe I could say it this way. Church partnership is just formalizing what is already true of us. What is already true of us, we're just asking you to, in a sense, to partner together again, to be reminded of what we're doing together and why we're doing it together. It's because we have been brought into the most loving, intimate, loyal relationship that could exist between God and his people. So this is what the New Testament expects. This is what the New Testament understands the church to be a people who are covenanting together to live their lives together around the parameters of that new covenant. In all that while, in all the mess that we make with our lives, in all the sin that wreaks havoc upon other people, we have one who has forgiven you and who is the one who is the covenant keeper ensuring that God's plan for you and for the creation will come to pass. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.